What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Ben here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I had the immense, immense pleasure of sitting down, of sitting down, with Larry Lapard. A man fighting the good fight, a sound money fight. We need to embrace our, our sound money advocates, our allies in the gold community. And Larry's an incredible example of, of somebody uh, who's very principled and is in sound money for the right reasons. Yes, Bitcoin may go up by a lot. Yes, gold has gone up by a lot, may go up by a lot in the future. It's about more than that. It's about more than the gains, freaks. It's about fixing the money, which will allow us to fix the world. This was brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. Cash App's how you stack sets, send sets, receive sets, and sell sets if you so please. We're saying sets, 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 because sats are the standard. It's 100 million sats in one Bitcoin. You don't have to buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. You don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. You can stack whole sats instead. Cash App makes it very easy to do so. You can DCA in the sats. Uh, Cash App can be your bank account. They're offering account numbers and routing numbers. You can get uh, your own debit card. They have their boost program, which allows you to save money with partner merchants. It's an incredible app. If you haven't downloaded it yet, make sure you use the code stacking sats. That's S T A C K I N G S A T S. You're going to get $10, and $10 is going to get go to Owls Lacrosse when you download the app. Do it. This rip was also brought to you by good friends at Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody, in your self custody model. The way they do this is they offer a collaborative custody product known as their Volt, which is a two or three multi-sig. You hold two keys, Unchained holds one key. You always have complete control over your sats in the Volt. Uh, however, if you ever need Unchained to be there to be the two, the second in the two or three multi-sig transaction. They are there for you. They have a white glove concierge service that's going to take you from zero to having a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats in your multi-sig vault. They're going to have multiple video conferences with you. They're going to walk you through multi-sig and they're going to walk you through the vault product. They're going to get you hardware wallets, going to get you comfortable setting those up uh, and making sure that you secure your seed phrases and that you sec secure your backups. It's a beautiful thing. Once you have everything set up, Again, you're going to set up your vault and you're going to dump a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats in it and eliminate single points of failure in your security model. Uh, holding all your sats on an exchange is a single point of failure. Holding all your sats in a single SIG wallet could be a single point of failure as well. If you lose that wallet and you lose the backup, you're shit out of luck. So go check all this out at Unchained.com. Tell them TFTC sent you for the White Glove Concierge service. You're going to get $50 off. Unchained.com. Go check out this, plus all the incredible content and other products that they have. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends at Compass Mining. Compass Mining is here to help more individuals get into the mining game. They want more individual ownership of hash rate and helps distribute the mining layer of Bitcoin. Excuse me. Um, what you do is you go to compassmining.io. You buy an ASIC there. Uh, they have different models. You pick your ASIC and you can get it sent to your house. Um, they have an at-home mining team that will tell you how to get that miner set up, what, what the electrical engineering looks, infrastructure look, needs to look like to plug the miner in. They're going to tell you how to point your, your miner towards a mining pool, how to get the, the uh, internet all configured for your miner. Uh, and then they're going to be there for you to help hold your hand. Um, on top of that, they have the ability for you to buy a miner and then plug it in a hosting facility with competitive electricity costs. You get the miner, you pick a hosting facility, they, they get that miner, they plug it in, they start streaming sats to a wallet of your choice. 
beautiful thing. Go check it out at compassmining.io. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by our good friends at Brains. Brains, double I, B-R-A-I-I-N-S. Brains are doing incredible things. They're a team behind Slush Pool, the oldest mining pool in the game, having mined 1.25 million Bitcoins to date. Uh, they just had a big update to the pool earlier this summer. Um, but we're here to talk about Brains OS Plus firmware, the auto-tuning firmware. The auto-tuning firmware is a great way to stack more sats with your miners. What they do is they, they basically tune the frequency of the chips to focus on higher frequency chips so that you're able to get more efficient hash rate production and therefore more sats. It's a beautiful thing. It's available for many minor models, particularly Bitmain. They're working on Bitmain S19s right now. They have it in private beta. They're working on what's miners as well. They have it in their office beta. Let's see if it comes out of uh, that soon. I hope so. Uh, what else do we got here? They're hiring. If you're a Rust developer, if you've worked on hardware, if your system admin, uh, they're looking for your talent and they're an incredible Bitcoin only company that's been focused on Bitcoin for quite some time. They've stayed true. They've stayed steadfast. They're very smart, way smarter than me. You can go check the episodes that we've recorded with Pavel, Jan. Uh, we've had Edward Evenson on. He's like, yeah, yeah. just kidding, Ed. Love you, Ed. Uh, they've also got great content on their on their blog. So go to brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Check out everything they got going on from, uh, you can get the slush pool that way. You can check out the auto-tuning firmware. They have their blog, which has a lot of deep dives into the mining, uh, a lot of tutorials. They have profitability calculators. They got a lot of shit, freaks. Go check it out. Brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. If you want to follow them on Twitter, they're at Brains underscore systems. Doing long threads on the mining industry as well. Enjoy this episode with Larry Lepard. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I think you guys will too. We're going to win. We're going to win. We're going to win. We're going to win. Are you ready to win? Let's be humble in our victory. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here for another important conversation, I will say. We're sitting down with Larry Lapard from EM2. What's going on, sir? Oh, not much, uh, Marty. It's really nice to be with you. It's kind of an honor. I understand you're like one of the leading podcasts in this uh, in this space, and I haven't been as involved in Bitcoin for as long. So, Well, uh, the honor is all mine. As we, we've been having a, gosh, we've been talking for almost 20 minutes now since before we hit record here. Uh, I think it's going to be an incredible conversation. I think we're going to learn a lot as Bitcoiners. There's, I don't want to say there's goals of this conversation but I, I do want to say just having spoken with you over dm chat and the first 20 minutes of this conversation i think there uh, are important lessons that you can provide the the bitcoin world coming from uh the gold world uh you you've seen a lot of shit uh to give some more context to the freaks out there listening uh parker lewis and michael tanguma two bitcoiners 
uh, have, have been saying, Marty, you got to talk to Larry, you got to talk to Larry. His story is uh, incredible. Uh, and I think it would resonate a lot with, with the freaks. And so you're a man that's seen some shit and, and you, you have, yeah. Yeah, you want, me, if you want me to go through a little bit of the background, I'll just I'll skip on it quickly. So I'm 64 years old. I've been a professional investor my whole life. I've always been a sound money advocate. I was a big Ron Paul supporter, ran a couple of ads for him in national newspapers. Um, you know, long before Bitcoin came along, sound money was gold and silver. And of course, I own a ton of it and was supporting that. I, I first heard about Bitcoin from the Free State Project up in New Hampshire. <laughs> I have a friend up there who's a graphic designer, she bought a bunch of coins at $2, still has them. I mean, a lot of coins. That's really a fabulous story. I didn't know how to buy them back then. This was uh, pre-Mount Gox. You know, this is when you had to meet with cash and you got yourself a little code. Um, I almost bought some Mount Gox, Mount Gox failed. Uh, coming out of that, I bought my first coins coming out of when Coinbase was running. So, so I've been in Bitcoin for a while and I bought fairly consistently, but my fear was always that technology was, you know, technology and my IBM computer would go blue screen every now and then. I thought, well, maybe that'll happen to Bitcoin. Of course, that over time, I got more and more comfortable with that issue. Um, I sat next to a, a core developer at MIT once and I asked him what, he, what scares you. And he said, well, every time I make a change to the core, I'm a little afraid I'm going to go home and the whole thing's going to blow up. And that, that kind of concerned me. But, uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, Eventually, I, I began to hodl very consistently, and uh, you know, I was hodling at seventeen thousand, and you know, I was hodling at ten thousand, and I was hodling at thirty-five hundred. So, so I've been at it for a while, but but frankly, I've always been gold has always been the core of my holdings. It still is. I still own a ton of gold. Um, but I, I think what I might bring to the party that people will find interesting is that I've watched the government's moves against gold all these years, and there have been many, and they've been substantial. And and you know, the government. I mean, I, I think. I think Bitcoiners, um, look, I think Bitcoin is a fabulous technology. I think it's it's going to it's going to win in the long run. I'm, I'm very much a believer, um, but I don't think it's going to be quite a straight line as, as some people think. And I say that with the experience of having watched what they've done in the gold space. Um, you know, they've they've obviously manipulated gold with paper gold. And, you know, they I mean, these people are playing for keeps. Right. And and they're criminal and they, they use whatever they can to to beat the other side and they're, they're very smart. I mean, there are all kinds of papers that have been written, um, you know, Gibson's paradox by uh, uh, Barsky and Summers laid out the whole notion of how by suppressing the gold price, they could create, you know, an economic boom. And, uh, you know, Rubin, Secretary Rubin, who was the treasury secretary at the time, used it to manipulate the gold price and, you know, make, make Bill Clinton's presidency look very fabulous. But, um, you know, when they get the chance, they break the rules. I mean, they, they confiscated gold in the 30s. They took us off gold in the 70s. Um, you know, they've um, they've never reported the amount of gold that's in Fort Knox. Um, they've created paper gold to great excess. Um, I always get a kick. People say, well, the monetary premium is going to come out of gold. Well, there is no monetary premium in gold. I mean, gold should be trading... If gold were trading the way it used to trade in relation to the money supply, it would be $10,000 right now. So the monetary premium of gold has been kicked, you know, the shit's been kicked out of it. It's maybe a little bit there and there's a little jewelry premium, but it costs a thousand bucks an ounce to mine it. So it's not like there's a big premium in it. Um, and, you know, I think that on a go forward basis, um, you know, they're going to try some of these things with Bitcoin. Um, you know, this, talking about this ETF that's coming out, as we were discussing it before, 
you know, I, I think and people ask the question rightly and intelligently, you know, can't they just do that what they did to gold? And I would say they're, you know, I view that in two ways. Um, one, yes, maybe. Well, I say one, no, because here's why. Bitcoin has gone up 500% in six months in the past. And anybody who shorts against that and doesn't have the keys on the, or doesn't have the coins on the chain is going to get completely wrecked. Okay. So, so for that reason, because gold never went up 500% in six months, and they always knew that if they shorted gold, there'd come a time in the future when they may be able to cover it. Um, they were very effective at, at manipulating gold. So, so that in that sense, the volatility of Bitcoin is a positive because it makes it harder to manipulate it. But then let me give you the, the conspiracy case on the whole issue. And I've spoken to various people all throughout the gold industry over the years about this. And it's an interesting question. What if the government has an unlimited balance sheet? What if the government operates through offshore accounts? And what if the government doesn't care about the PL and can create unlimited amounts of money to cover losses? Well, in that particular case, they could sell short into the Bitcoin market and just keep selling short and keep selling short and keep selling short and the losses could pile up. And to the degree they had to settle the losses, they would just print the money and deliver. And so the losses would get settled, but they would just never relent. And so in, in the ultimate manipulation game, you know, think of manipulation as like a game of poker where you're, you're playing table stakes and you, know, you don't have to necessarily show the cards. If you're playing table stakes poker and the other player has an unlimited balance sheet and can just keep putting more and more stakes on the table but not caring about what those are because those are stakes they print and that they can create in an unlimited fashion, then they can conceivably go longer than you can because their balance sheet's bigger than your balance sheet. And to some degree, that's what's happened in gold, in my opinion. And I can't prove it that they have this unlimited balance sheet, but I think there's a possibility of it. And I think for Bitcoiners not to consider it is, is a, you know, is a blind spot that, that it is a possibility. And so, you know, I think as we were discussing before, um, you know, I strongly advise all my clients to have some Bitcoin because I think it will ultimately demonetize gold. The time frame on that's debatable. But I also strongly believe that having gold is useful as well. And partly because, you know, other countries in the world have made an enormous bet on gold. I think in their, you know, I think it's a mistake, but China's obviously betting on gold. Russia's betting on gold. And so, you know, my view is the, as, an, as a money manager and one who runs a fund, my view is that the intelligent approach to this is to have some balance between the two. And I view, I view gold as being more like a, a sound money bond that doesn't grow nearly as fast as Bitcoin, but never suffers a drawdown, a yearly drawdown of more than 20 or 30%. And I think of Bitcoin as being a sound money animal, you know, growth stock that is eating everything in its sight and growing at 200% a year compounded. So we all love that. But, you know, the, the, the negative, the thing that I think is, you know, people who are recommending other people where to put their money, they need to do is they need to make sure that the people who are doing it fully understand what it looks like and what the issues are. Because I know many instances, and I think it's sad, where people, you know, who, who believed in it, went home at Thanksgiving in 2017 and pounded the table and got all their friends and neighbors to chase it and buy it at 17,000. And then of course it went up and over the cliff and came back to 10 and then a year later to 3,500 and damn near all those people blew it out, which of course was the wrong thing to do. So, you know, 
if if you don't if you're selling it and the buyer doesn't understand the importance of hodling then you're not doing the buyer a favor you know and uh, i think i think that's an important point that needs to be made when people are promoting bitcoin i would agree 26 year old marty made that thanksgiving mistake in 2017 and uh had learned it, it is it isn't easy because they're, they're internally you're like this is this i've had this feeling since 2013 when i first got in like this is going to happen this is going to be massive you want your family and friends to participate um and but you do have to realize they have to have a first principles understanding of why sound money number one should win out and probably will win out in the long run i mean the government obviously is bankrupt and they can't keep printing forever things will hit ahead sound money will prevail at some point it's a matter of if not when um and but as we were discussing before we hit recorded the pleasure of getting breakfast with uh josh crumb um uh, last week and he is behind gold money and and bit gold and mene and um that was one of the things he said him and roy sabag when they were going out and pitching bit gold specifically is that they wanted to change the narrative around sound money uh sound money goods particularly gold and silver uh, particularly gold. Uh, I don't know if they dealt too much with silver, but uh, a lot of gold bugs and gold heads at the time were saying gold's going to go to 10,000, 10,000. And they really wanted to shift the narrative of, yes, it may go to 10,000, but it'll go to 10,000 because it is a sound money. I think why will sound money be, be that valuable in the future? I think that's something that Bitcoiners um, and gold gold bugs like i hate saying gold bugs gold uh gold supporters i don't mind gold bugs i don't view it as an insult anymore i mean it's Mm. yeah i mean sound money i mean the you know i'm giving a speech in new orleans this week which will be up on the web and shown around it and to me sound money is the most important moral issue of our time i mean i'm right where jack mahler's is i'm willing to die on this hill i mean i i think you know i look at the world what it was what it was like when i was a kid and i look at the world today and i the biggest difference is the money's on sound and that's the bad news. The good news is that, you know, this is a system that's designed to fail and it's gonna blow up spectacularly. And then we will go back to sound money uh, in, in a variety of forms. And, and, and really, when I say sound money, what I really mean is non-state money. I mean, that's, if you think about it, you know, fiat money is a statist, you know, thing that's created to control people. I mean, look at the $600 they want us to report now. You know, it's it's insane, right? And so, you know, gold, silver, you know, and Bitcoin are a form of forms of money that the state cannot control. And that's a beautiful thing. Now, you know, I say that and then recognizing that they're probably gonna try, we were talking about this, they're probably gonna try to make us report our Bitcoin. And of course, you know, we'll all have to make decisions on how much we wanna play along with that. But I don't think they can kill it. But, you know, I do think that there will be ups and downs. I mean, they certainly could go after Tether. And if and when they do that, I mean, I think that'd be a net positive. If and when they do that, it could certainly create a dip in the Bitcoin price. You know, so uh, my view is it's a volatile asset, but it's a great, it's probably the best asset on the planet right now in terms of optionality and asymmetry, but it's also volatile. And the way you deal with that is you allocate the right amount to handle that volatility so that you won't get blown out at the bottom and your dollar cost average on the way in. I have new clients walk in the door, they have zero of it. And I say, you gotta get some, pick a number, pick a percent. And, but understand that if it dips 30% or 50%, I mean, recently it dipped from 60 to 30, I was a buyer. 
you know, I'm a buyer at 60, by the way, but at 30, I stepped it up a little bit. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, and so, I mean, I, that's, and that's what I say to clients, you know, you just, this is, this is the classic buy the dip asset, you know, um, and not necessarily sell the rip, you know, just, just buy, you know, be, go at it in a steady way. It's the other thing about it that I find fascinating. It's just all the leverage in some of these, you know, block five. I mean, all these people who are using leverage with this asset are absolutely insane, in my opinion. Just insane. That's a sure way to lose your money. You know that you you, you gotta you gotta buy this stuff unlevered and just be prepared to hold on. We've you seen uh, untold number of people get wrecked by this like leveraging leverage trading Bitcoin, and it's very attractive. There, the nature of Bitcoin and the fact that it can evade uh, state sanctions, and it is a completely separate network. Uh, distributed network <laughs> there's services out there that'll give you 100x leverage and people oh i know i mean I, those services ought to be shut down because there's no way the house wins all the time i mean there's no way you can win playing that game even five to one leverage there's no way you can win they're they're sure to you know they're going to liquidate you on a drawdown that's it you're out of the game yeah it's so, uh it's theft it's really theft yeah we've seen uh we've seen a lot of these margin trading platforms pop up through Throughout the years, the uh, the OKC wood chipper was a uh, was a fun order book to watch back in the day, like 2013, 2014. Uh, yeah, I, I I didn't follow a lot of that as carefully as closely as you guys have. I mean, I've just been stacking. I mean, I like I like your statement of stacking sats and getting people to stack sats. I, I think that's right. I mean, that will that will do extremely well. I was very satisfied this morning. Uh, I got an email from a woman I uh, counseled about five or six years ago, she didn't have a lot of money. And I convinced her to put $20,000 into Bitcoin. And she, she came back, she said, holy shit, I hadn't looked at this account for a while. And it's worth 250 now. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that felt really good. You know what I mean? I mean, I just, I mean, it's, it's fun to watch people, you know, do the right thing, save in a sound currency and it goes up, you know, it goes up over time. Well, that's, I think the beauty Stacking sats, particularly in dollar cost averaging and having a plan, right. sticking with it, really highlights the importance of low time preference. Um, so right. it's like a compounding effect of the Bitcoin price going up, but also yeah. the societal lesson of low time preference, which I think many would argue the fiat system has has degraded uh, pretty significantly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. So the so the and it, and it relates to everything. I mean, Jeff Booth has great stuff on this. I mean. We should live in a deflationary world. A deflationary world is a much better and fairer world where things get cheaper and savers get rewarded. And you know, Keynesianism and the notion that growth is good at all costs. I mean, how do you do that in a fixed resource planet? We're going to destroy the planet if all we do is 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 figure out how to grow. Eventually, we're going to overwhelm the planet, and we're going to be like you know the deer on the island up in you know the licking eating deer up on the island off of Alaska. I mean, where you just hit a level and then bam, the whole damn thing collapses. I mean, what we need is much greater efficiency, productivity and efficiency. We need to, how to figure out how to get more for less. And that's deflation by definition. How do you get more for less? And so when we take this whole Keynesian paradigm and blow it up, which it's in the process of doing, and put it on its head, we're going to be in a deflationary world. And that's going to be a, an absolute thing of beauty. I mean, you're going to be able to save and know your money is good. In fact, you're going to know that with savings, your money is going to get better in the future. And you'll have hope. I mean, one of the things that really distresses me, because I know a lot of people at this age, I know people my age who have reasonable assets and, and they're trying to retire. 
they don't feel like they can. And the reason they don't feel like they can is they don't know if they're going to outrun their money. You know, they might have a, you know, a number that a young person would say, well, that's a lot of money. You know, you got a million bucks. Well, you know, you're 70 years old, you got a million bucks. Is, is that really a lot of money? I mean, you know, if gasoline's $100, it's not a lot of money. And that could be where we're going, you know? And, and so, you know, this whole Keynesian, you know, grow at any cost, inflate as necessary to keep the growth going, you know, it, it, it eliminates people's freedom to save and their freedom to retire safely. And it's just, it's criminal. It's absolutely criminal. And, you know, and then of course it rewards those who figured out how to play the system, you know, and then, and then they changed the rules, you know, I mean, 2008, they completely, you know, raided the system and, you know, it was, it was socialism for the rich and rugged capitalism for everybody else as they lost their houses to foreclosure. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely so upside down, backwards, wrong. And yet the, the number of people that understand it in society today, it's, it's a small group. It's, it's gold people, sound money people and Bitcoin people. The good news is that that group is growing, you know, over time. I mean, it's, and I think we are getting closer to a tipping point. I mean, the inflation problem has become really obvious and it's only going to get worse. And, you know, the solutions are becoming more widely known. You know, I mean, I, I can't tell you how happy I was when Safe's book came out and I saw the effect on the millennial. Gen I mean, my kids are all in their 20s and they're all huge Bitcoiners. And not just because dad's a sound money guy, but because they read the book. And, you know, suddenly we had this whole young cadre of, of Austrians, you know, I mean, I was like this old guy Austrian and people were like, oh, you know, oh, you're a fossil, you know, don't talk about gold. And, and suddenly I got, we got all these converts who, who get the sound money story because of safe book. It was fabulous. It was absolutely fabulous. It was like, it was like, we, you know, the reinforcements have come to help us out here. You know, we've been, we've been fighting this battle for 30 years with, with, with no new blood, you know, <laughs> new blood. So it's great. I mean, you think it was Safe's book alone, or you think there's like a, a sort of timing aspect of it too? Like I'm a millennial, I'm 30. Yeah. You know, I, I was a senior in high school in 2008, and presciently, not presciently, uh, serendipitously is probably the better word, taking an elective economics class. My dad was like, yeah, take an economics class, you're going to go to college, take that. So that was fall of 2008, world's falling apart. My teacher's like, boys, this is what's an all guys school. This is not good. Like you should go to college and try to understand this. So I did. Yeah. Um, uh, for me personally, I won't speak for my whole generation, uh, but like there were 9-11 uh, when I was 10, 08 when I was 17. Um, and like you said, the government tends to fuck things up and uh, 08 particularly, I read the TARP bill as a 17-year-old senior in high school. I was like, this is corrupt. This is evil. You said criminal. I would say evil, which I think takes it a step further. It's truly sure. evil and nefarious. Do you think they're was uh, a generation of people around my age just looking for a solution and sound money. Um, that that may be so. I mean, maybe I'm giving Safe too much credit, but I do know Safe's book moved the needle for a oh, lot of people. Certainly, certainly, I agree. You I know, one, yeah. of, one of the biggest advocates for the Bitcoin standard and Safe's work. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, no, I, I think that's right. I mean, you guys could see how broken it was, and it was kind of like, man, this is messed up. I mean, I've heard plenty of stories from people who said, you know, this is really personal for me. My, my parents lost their house. You know, my dad lost his job. I mean, we were in economic, you know, tough straits. I mean, my, you know, my sister lost her house. I mean, it, you know, this is, I mean, these people have done a lot of damage to a lot of people in this country, you know, and, and um, 
you know, I mean, it's, it's tragic. I mean, look at what's happened in the Midwest. Look at, you know, what, what I call the, you know, the, the economic despair that has led to, you know, the drug overdoses and the fentanyl. And I mean, there's just so much, you know, the suicides and mental health issues. I mean, it's just so many bad things that have happened. And, you know, and then we go get in these overseas wars. And so, you know, honorable, hardworking, honest guys who, you know, and girls who get involved in these things and they get limbs blown off in places where they shouldn't be. And it's just, it's tragic. It's so tragic. I mean, that, that part reminds me of Vietnam, which was in my youth. I mean, it just, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, I think Ron Paul has one of the greatest lines where he said, you know, it's no coincidence that, you know, the, the century of war or the, yeah, the century of with the greatest wars coincides with the century of central banking. I mean, you know, the Fed was formed in 1913. Three years later, they broke their charter and they went out and they started uh, they, they started printing money so they could fund the war. You know, I mean, which wouldn't have been able to, they would, the war would have been unfundable if it hadn't been for fiat money. And, you know, so it, it's just, it's a very evil set of circumstances, as you say. And, and there are some very evil people. I mean, look, the defense contractors have done really well for the past 30 years, you know? I mean, Afghanistan was a, a complete, you know, um, boondoggle for them. They made tons and tons of money, but maybe not so good for the Afghans and certainly not so good for our people who, who got shot up. You know, the one of the one of the workouts that I do in CrossFit is called Murph, and it's named after a really heroic and honorable guy, you know, uh, Michael Murphy, who was the guy, you know, um, in the movie and the story. It was kind of the, the last guy out. And it was... Uh, yeah, it's just uh, terrible stuff. Really terrible stuff. So, I hate to dive too deep in the war here. What do you think too? Like the returns on war, they're negative, right? Because you just piss people off in far off lands that then want to attack you again, and then you can just create this yeah. negative feedback loop that oh, perpetuates. Yeah. Uh, Edwin Edwin Starr had it right. I don't know if you if you uh, they probably don't play it much anymore, but there was a really great song in the seventies you know, Edwin Starr's war, the title was just war. And I said, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Yeah. And, I mean, it, and that's right. I mean, that's absolutely right. And, and the funny thing is, you know, human beings alone don't necessarily want to go to war with each other. Although I suppose criminals go to war with society because they want to kill people and steal stuff. But in general, you know, the average American guy, you know, living out in the woods, you know, in, in America somewhere, he doesn't want to go over to Vietnam and kill a bunch of guys in Vietnam. I mean, the average rice farmer in Vietnam doesn't necessarily want to kill a bunch of Americans, but if Americans are walking around in his country. That's not going to make him happy. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's these governments that are doing it. And that speaks to the broader trend of decentralization. I mean, I think we hit peak centralization in this century, you know, and I think we, we, you know, World War II was, you know, the just, it was a killing orgy. You know, 40 or 50 million people, you know, killed in that war. And, you know, fortunately, I think, you know, we kind of have learned something from it because at least since then, the wars have been more proxy wars at a smaller scale. But, um, you know, I'd like to see a situation where, you know, these nascent states kind of dissolve. I mean, it's not entirely clear we need them, you know, and that we can't go back to much smaller decentralized local governments. I, I've been pushing that that line of thinking for quite some time i think we're going to see a balkanization i think uh, we've seen a trend towards that in the last year and a half with states asserting their their autonomy more and more uh, yeah as a, well you live in one i mean i look at i just i just i bought a small place in one i mean i you know i think florida and, and texas should just say bye-bye you know i mean we'll pay our we'll pay our share of the national defense 
all that other stuff, leave us alone. Please, yeah. please just leave us alone. You make things worse. Yeah. That's a, this is the other thing, right? I think, I think, and so that was another part of the pre-discussion that we're having is like, so you, you think that this could be a much longer battle than many Bitcoiners tend to believe. Yeah. I believe I'm one of those Bitcoiners. Maybe I'm naive, like I said, maybe I'm not. Um, but I think it's becoming too blatantly obvious that the emperor wears no clothes and that people are going to be begging for a sound money solution or a, a yeah, I, that erodes I, the government's power. I don't think you're naive. And I think the emperor is very naked. I think more people are seeing that. I don't know how it's going to get resolved. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think it's going to get down to shooting in a civil war. I, I, I tend to, I tend to think that what will happen is that things will continue to get much worse first in terms of inflation and then in terms of confidence in money. And these markets will be able to function in a way that puts the fear of God into the government and they'll have to either start behaving better and they may do a little bit of that, but more likely or get overturned. And so, you know, I think this Francis Suarez in Miami is probably going to be, you know, president of the United States someday and he's a Bitcoiner. Um, and, you know, I, I say this because I think, you know, there was a, I mean, Ron Paul was ahead of his time, right? There was a small core of us who all believed in him, supported him, worked for him. Um, and he kind of timed out, you know, he's too old to be president now. But, you know, your generation, I mean, and, and, and this fits into the fourth turning, and I'm sure you're familiar with that whole model and so forth. I mean, these turning, fourth turnings tend to take 20 to 30 years. And you can either argue this one started in 2000 or 2008. So, you know, if it's 10 years, I mean, we, we're already past that. I mean, probably 20 years. I, I think it's going to get resolved in the next 10 or 15 years. I think your generation is going to be the hero generation that's going to fix it. And I think that, you know, the fixing it is going to come at a political level. And, you know, um, you're going to see, you know, people like Gabby or people like, you know, Suarez or other libertarian minded, freedom oriented, sound money oriented people step into the breach. And when the country has been ravaged by inflation and is feeling very much poorer and society is really in tough shape, you know, kind of 1930s is shape in a way, people's, you know, this message will get out. And I think people will be smart enough to know that it was the money that did it to them. And they're going to say, yeah, I'm voting for that sound money person. Yeah. You know, I, I, I want to go there. Well, let's let's dive into this a little bit more because Bitcoiners, a lot of Bitcoiners, I would say myself included, but I have, um, there have been some people that have put strong arguments in front of me, which is beginning to persuade me back towards the other direction. But Bitcoiners, a lot of us will say, don't even engage in politics. Like Bitcoin is so strong, we can build this parallel system and, and essentially bead, excuse me, bleed the political system dry and essentially just leave these people do like a gulch gulch and just leave let them mess up the world and we'll be fine over here it's, it's possible i mean i think certainly in terms of your own monetary sovereignty and wealth that's possible mm -hmm. but you know if they decide they want you to report how much bitcoin you have and they want you to pay a tax on it maybe 90 percent and you know that that I mean, I've seen, you know, articles that have talked about and, and some of the people in the community have talked about this, how, you know, it, it, look, the other side are a bunch of really bad people and we know they will break the rules and they are going to try to change the narrative to these Bitcoin and gold people ruined a, a system that we had that was perfectly good and they ruined it, you know, and, and, and you know what, therefore, 
they need to either go to jail or pay a huge tax on their winnings. You know, now, look, we all know with 12 words, we can decide we're not Americans anymore and go somewhere else and we've still got our wealth. But the point is, you know, I'd like to stay in America. I think it's a beautiful place and I've got a lot of ties and relatives and everything else here. So, you know, I'm more inclined to stay and fight. And, and I think, you know, I, as I look at the country, I think a lot of the country, when they get more educated on this issue, I tend to believe this is a pretty good country with a lot of great people in it. And I think, I think we'll do the right thing. And so, yeah, I mean, look, you can do a Galt's Gulch and go somewhere else. I mean, I get that. And that, and that may be necessary for short periods of time if this thing gets really, goes in the wrong direction really hard and really fast. But I, I, you know, I think as a practical matter, we've got to think about, you know, we, we can't ignore politics. We've got to think about how politics, you know, can fix it. Having said that, it's, it's generally the case that in all countries, to the degree we're going to have a national state, that in all countries, the richest people end up kind of in politics. And what if the Bitcoin people and the gold people have all the marbles? I mean, what if we were the richest people? I mean, I, I'd certainly rather live in a country that was, you know, that the politicians were Bitcoiners and gold people than the politicians we have today, right? Because I think we'd embrace libertarian values and low taxes and so on and so forth. So, you know, I, it's, it's very hard to tell how it's going to unfold, no doubt. But um, interesting questions for sure. No, I agree. I mean, and again, even as a Bitcoiner, we had examples of playing the political game somewhat working in our favor obviously when steve mnuchin was on his way out tried to try to sneak some uh, aggressive legislation across uh people fought back that didn't get passed um yeah. you know senators like cynthia lummis and um uh, representatives like warren davidson and um many others beginning to advocate for bitcoin it seems like that's having uh, a positive effect I agree. I, I think there's another thing that we've really got going for us. Luke Roman has pointed this out. And I really do believe it's true. And there's a fellow whose name I can't remember right now up in MIT who's doing a lot of work on it with this uh, SpaceX pro space project. But I think the Pentagon knows. Jason Lowry. Yeah, mm -hmm. Jason. Right. I think the I think the Pentagon knows that that it's strategically in our interest to move in this direction. I mean, I think they've seen how we've been weakened by offshoring, by all the theft of all the technology from China and offshoring everything to China and letting the country slide and gutting the middle class in the middle of the country. And I think they're very much aware that we got to solve this problem or we're going to just completely go down the shitter. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they've got to be thinking about the sound money, you know, equation. And I'm pretty sure Luke has some really good contacts in the defense community because of the information that he and I discuss. And as a result of that, you know, I'm pretty sure the Pentagon understands that we've got to get back to sound money. And I, I, in turn, I also think they're going to understand as a result of Jason's work and others that probably the better choice of sound money is gold, or I mean, is uh, Bitcoin over gold and silver. And, and the reason for that is that if we go back to a gold standard, you know, Russia, China, and India, three fairly corrupt countries have a big lead over us. I mean, you know, Ron Paul told me once he's pretty sure that we don't have the gold we say we have in Fort Knox. And I believe that. I mean, I think that's probably been rated and sold if you read, you know, things. And I think there's a reason why it hasn't been audited. So, you know, um, assuming they've got all the gold that they have, we don't have the gold that we say that we have. And we, we need to go to a neutral reserve currency to settle accounts between countries, which you clearly do, or else Triffin's dilemma blows this whole thing up, you know, and, and go forward. Um, you know, Bitcoin's the right choice because we've got the technical people to do it. And, you know, we're in the right position. So, I think I think Bitcoin's got a lot going for it. It really, really does. But it's going to take time. 
I mean, I, you know, gold, gold had a lot going, gold's always had a lot going for it. And I got to tell you, they're, you know, they, they know how to play this game. I mean, the other side, there's, you know, there, some of them are very stupid. Okay. Some of them, but some of them are very smart and um, the smart ones are going to, you know, or they're going to fight back. Yeah. Yeah, they are. I mean, you've seen this firsthand too. You've personally been screwed. I've personally seen it. I mean, I was, you know, look, I was short all the financials in fall of 2008. I was up, you know, 50% in my fund on that year. And in September, they outlawed, you know, they banned short selling of financial stocks. You know, I lost that 50% in 10 days. They just changed the rules. I mean, I had it right. I was Michael Burry, except I wasn't playing with CDS. I was playing with publicly traded financial stocks. Go look it up. The SEC banned short selling financial stocks, you know, on a national security basis. And when they did that, all my shit got called in and I lost millions of dollars for myself, my clients, everything. It's changed the fucking rules on me, you know, right in the middle of the game. Right. I mean, that's what they did to the GameStop guys. Right. I mean, those guys were going to bankrupt those firms and they were, they had them. They totally had them and they just changed the rules. Right. So that's uh, that the GameStop thing particularly uh, had tinfoil hat Uncle Marty come out because if you remember, Back in September 2019, when you had the first repo spasm and the Fed had to uh, allow the FCC to become a primary dealer so they could essentially by proxy bail out like Citadel, Millennium 72. Exactly. Like, that's exactly what happened. Right. I think there were the same firms involved with GameStop, right? And yep. That's Fed, exactly what happened. The Fed viewed hey, systemic risk. Yeah. There's a, there's a reason why Bernanke sits on the, you know, on the Citadel board. And you know the inside scoop from this is secondhand and just gossip. But I, you know, there's sometimes some truth to some gossip. Is that, you know, he, Ken Griffin pays him twenty million bucks a year, and 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 related gossip is that he's using it to buy gold. Huh. You know, right? Ben? Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh! These guys aren't stupid. They're not stupid. And you know, you might ask, how can he justify it? And I'm sure the way he justifies it in his mind is, look, I did what I had to do when I was in the political system and in the political arena. I mean, hell, Alan Greenspan used to be an Ayn Rand follower and wrote all kinds of treatises on how great gold was and prevented, you know, confiscate or prevented, you know, the state from taking your money away from you through inflation. And then he got in there and he wanted to be famous and he just forgot all that shit and just totally played the game. And I mean, look, the power and the money that these people have, it makes it very hard for them to do what's right. I mean, Janet Yellen getting paid $7 million for speech. That's just a blatant bribe. It's just blatant. You know, I mean. Hey, getting paid 250 grand an hour, is, it's normal. Yeah, it's totally normal, right? When you're an economics professor, right? Yeah, I mean, it's nuts. It's nuts. And, you know, they just, they don't even hide it anymore. I mean, it's, you know, they recently, I mean, I, there's clearly this campaign to, to, you know, to change the Fed, right? And so they've got two of them to resign. They're both hawks. They're about to probably get Powell to resign. And you know, who knows, they'll probably put Stephanie Kelton and some doves in there. And I mean, they're, you know, they're greasing the runway to have another printathon, which is at that point, that's going to give the next, you know, up leg to gold and silver and, and, and probably to Bitcoin as well. So, you know, it just, it's, it's the same old, same old. And, and it's because of the math. I mean, you can't taper a Ponzi and you know, and again, in the in the speech I'm going to publish in, in my quarterly report, which is on my website, you can see there's a great chart that just shows the accelerating growth of the money supply. And, you know, you've got to keep that accelerating. 
I mean, they, they grew the, the Fed balance sheet $3 trillion in three-year period after 08. Hell, they did that in a couple of months. And this time around, the next time the market turns down severely, they're going to have to do 10, you know, and then, and then the next time, I mean, the Fed's going to have a $100 trillion balance sheet, you know, in five years at the rate they're going, or, or everything's going to implode. And, you know, I mean, they're both bad outcomes, but my gut is that push comes to shove, they'll always pick the inflation because kick the can and, and you know, at least, um, you know, they, they think they can kind of stay alive and outrun it in some way. And, you know, that's what Von Havenstein thought in Weimar too in 1921. And, you know, eventually it just gets out of hand. I mean, the, the tipping point for both Bitcoin and gold will come when the bond market really starts to sell off. I mean, the thing I watch like a hawk is the 10 year, Mm -hmm. The 10-year yield really starts to roll. And, and the other thing I watched, like, well, related to that, really interesting thing happened in March. Remember March of 2020 when the COVID thing came down? There was a time when the 10-year went no bid and it started, the rates started to go up. That mm -hmm. was frigging huge. That had to scare the living crap out of the Fed. And if the 10-year starts to go no bid and interest rates start to go up aggressively, you know, now they probably got all the band-aids in place, you know, through this reverse repo and other things, having the bank buying bonds. But the point is, eventually they're going to have to monetize the entire bond market. And at that point, when, when you're running a deficit that's equal to 50 percent, you know, when you're when you're spending 50 percent more than or 100 percent more than you collect in taxes, i.e. you collect three trillion in taxes, you spend six, you know, that that just can't last. And, and then you can't get foreigners to buy the other three. You've got to print it yourself. I mean, that's just the definition of monopoly money. And so it's only a matter of time. I mean, you know, we call this CSIP, you know, it's, it's, you know, substitution inflation. I mean, as people begin to see that the money is losing value, they're going to, they're going to gravitate towards Bitcoin. They already have, and that's why it's seen such a lift and it's the one fire alarm that's working. And they're also going to gravitate towards gold and silver. And, you know, I mean, it's it's going to be one of these. It, it's the most asymmetric trade I've ever seen, and sound money people are going to end up with all the marbles, in my opinion. And 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 that's a beautiful thing. And and I'm not really in it to win all the marbles. I mean, if I get marbles, I'm going to use them to try and push for sound money, because I, I really care a lot more about sound money than I do about making a profit. But um, you know, it, it's it's just going to happen because it's human psychology. I mean, when you're when when you know that what you have in savings is melting you look to go someplace where it won't melt because it's just self-preservation. You know, you've worked, especially if you're older, you've worked your whole life to earn, you know, a certain amount of savings, you know, you, you need, you, you're going to realize you need to protect it. And, and that's why I say to all of my clients, you know, how much of your assets are allocated in sound money bets. And to me, the most obvious, the three most obvious sound money bets are gold, silver, and Bitcoin and gold and silver stocks. And then, you know, and then after that, real estate. I mean, you're actually already starting to see some of this, Marty, in real estate. I mean, people say, well, why is the real estate going up so much? Well, they're just doing the Hugo Stennis trade, right? I mean, real estate's up 23%. You know, okay, so you got an asset you know is real, and you know you can use it, and it's going to grow in value. Last year, it grew 23%. And you can borrow money, 30-year money at 3% to buy it? Well, that's a friggin' no-brainer. I mean, you just, Right. I got an asset that's going up at some number that's north of nine and I can borrow at three. Hell, give me more of that. Right. Yeah. You know, so, so that's, I mean, that's what's going on there. And that's, that's what I'm describing is Austrians know that's the beginning of a crack up boom. Everyone says the money's bad. I got to get stuff, you know? Well, 
You mentioned Rudy Van Havenstein. Yeah. Shout out to the uh, the uh, parody account on Twitter. Oh, isn't he the fab? He is so fabulous. I've interacted with him a lot. He is great. I've been following since I think following him since like 2012. He was actually in my early years of getting into the Austrian school was very formative, but yeah. transitioning to the actual Havenstein, that's something I've been saying on this podcast for the last year. And I wrote about it last April. I was like, whoa, people, people, like what we're doing right now at the Fed printing all this money at the same time that they're locking down the economy and preventing people going from work is not exactly what the Weimar Republic did, but it's very similar. They told factory workers to stay home, printed money and, and, and dumped it on them. And very when, close. Yeah. When it comes to like calling an end to that, like, I want to be like, especially when you consider the supply chain crunch that we're under right now and you have uh, commodities, energies, particularly going up parabolic. Like I think this winter, if it's a cold winter, could be very interesting um, in terms of the things appear to be moving pretty quickly now. I mean, I, I mean, you know, and I, I, I look at a lot of touch points. I mean, Egon Van Gerritz does some good work on this and Alistair McLeod. I mean, you know, there, there are a lot of good folks on Twitter who, who've done the analysis here. And, you know, it would appear to me that we're, you know, we're reaching the inflection point in the curve where, you know, it's not going to take much. I mean, they know they need to hold gold under 2000. They're working like hell to do it, but it's going to break through. And, and, and when it does, it's going to run like a scalded dog. I mean, the same way they're, they're, they're I think they're probably working hard to keep Bitcoin under 60, you know, around 60 and if it breaks it and starts to run, you know, look, I mean, there had to be some very, very scared people when bitcoin went on the run from 10 to 60 you know that whenever it was last year I mean, there had to be some people who were just like holy shit this is a serious problem yeah right i mean it's basically saying guys your money your money's failing right because in bitcoin terms i mean the dollar is getting destroyed absolutely decimated <laughs> yeah dollar right. sat parity not too far away but uh yeah right uh, a few more years but it's coming yeah yeah coming. That's the other thing. So, like, I I'm a very strong believer in like these hyperinflationary events are part uh, due to the expansion of the monetary supply, and they're part social, right? And the social yeah. aspect is when people lose yep. lose faith. That's when things really get weird. And I think we're beginning to see that too. I mean, last week you had Tucker Carlson go on with a whether you love him or hate him, he did a ten and a half minute segment on inflation and the effects of QE and it was just very cogent he's speaking to an audience of millions of people saying hey it's not your politics well your politicians are certainly part of the blame but you should be looking at the central bank and how much money they're printing and then my wife um who's a bitcoiner and she gets the whole thing when she's still very much involved with pop culture she's sharing articles with me from the daily mail in the uk which is essentially like a like a uh, tabloid a, tra- a rag, if you will, and and they're warning their readers about inflation. They're saying, "Hey, the Fed and the Bank of uh, Bank of England are telling you that that inflation is this, but they're just showing like grocery store uh, prices going up exponentially." And they're like, "They're lying to you." Like the the on the social yeah. side of things, things are starting to get out that that were previously on uh, not talked about by by certain yeah. right uh, talking heads or publishers, if you will. Right and. And again, all it takes is for everybody at the margin to go buy sound assets. And for those sound, you know, once once these sound assets really start to break upward, then it's really going to get interesting, you know, because um, the bond market, you know, the stock market, all these, you know, people are going to, I mean, 
you know, I, I like to say to my clients, I mean, this is, you know, this is, it's like the housing thing. It's like, it's a Michael Burry trade. It's very asymmetric. And so once this happens, there's not going to be a do-over. I mean, you know, I mean, imagine, imagine if tomorrow Bitcoin were at 250. I mean, it could happen. You know, I mean, it could, in six months, Bitcoin could go to 250,000 bucks. And by the way, I mean, if that happened, I would imagine gold would go to $3,000. Okay. And, you know, all the companies in my portfolio that are trading at three times cash flow, you know, they'd all be four baggers. And, you know, that would wake people up. I mean, people would say, hang on a second, something is really going on here. You know, and, and some would say, oh, I'll sell into that. It's a, it's a bubble. Well, and others would go, no, 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 no. This is currency failure. This is what it looks like. I mean, I've had actually on Twitter, I've had a lot of people from foreign countries come to me, Argentinians especially, come to me with DMs and saying things like, oh, yeah, I know exactly where you are. You know, you're, it's like within the next two years, man, it's happening. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Kind of like, you know, oh, yeah, we saw this exact same thing. I, you know, you're, you're about two years away from, you know, the end game. I mean, it's happening now. It yeah, really yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. The second interview on this podcast back in the fall of 2017 was with a man named Santiago Siri yeah. uh, from Argentina. And he, he, the first story he told about his experience with hyperinflation was running to the grocery store with his mother to go buy things as fast as possible on payday so that they could, they could right. get as much food as possible before the prices change. And they, right. Again, my wife going to the grocery store, she comes back. She's like, it was this much this week. It was $25 more this week. Like you're oh, yeah. starting oh, to see yeah. it here. But people oh, don't want to yeah. believe it can happen here. We're America. Yeah. We're country to ever live. It can never happen here. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, yeah. Look at the, you know, it's, it is happening. And it, and it, and it's funny. It hops, it, it does it in unusual places. I mean, you know, copper just went nuts and, uh, you know, I mean, just uh, zinc has gone nuts. Now some of this, some of this is supply chain. It is kind of a perfect storm of inflationary stuff. You know, you got the ports all backed up and, you know, you got supply and demand. I mean, I was talking to a fellow this morning about stuff and he was telling me a story in, in he was in Canada and he said there was some high-end Toyota truck that he was trying to buy. And uh, the sticker was 50, but they wanted, they had a $30,000, what they called, you know, supply premium on it. So if he, if he wanted to buy the new one off the lot, he was going to have to pay 80 for it. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Right. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, and that's what happens, right? I mean, it's this economics 101. You take the supply and you restrict it. You leave the demand the same. And guess what? You know, your prices are going up. Yeah. So 40 years of deflation from 1981 to present, 40 years of deflation. If this isn't turning the corner, then I'm, you know, I don't know, then I'm just crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm blind, deaf and dumb. And this has got to be turning the corner. I mean, the inflation is raging everywhere now can they get it back down from raging to just high sure maybe they can but then we're not going back to deflation and yet the stock market and the bond market are still kind of thinking well you know maybe we'll get back this is transitory maybe we'll get back to a deflationary world and i just don't see it i don't see it and i think oh. as they as they wake up to that fact the assets that sound money people hold i think the sound we are going to be stunned with what happens to us in the next couple of years that's my opinion just stunned and wow. it's going to be, it's going to be kind of like pinch yourself and, you know, let's, okay, let's try and remember to be humble. Let's try and remember to help the people that are hurting because there are going to be a lot of people hurting and, and, and more importantly, let's advocate, let's take whatever wealth we've got and let's advocate to fix this broken system so that the whole country doesn't go down the shitter, you know, 
I mean, the system's a mess, right? Fucked up thing about the situation. It's not only our country. Like everybody, the the nature of the world economy is so intertwined with the United States. Well, absolutely. And China's China's just as levered as we are, if not more, as the Severgrand and other stuff have pointed out to us. But but they're able to put it back in the can pretty easily. I mean, they you know, having a command and control economy is is you know it's a nice thing for them. Yeah. Well. Let's talk about the remnant, right? Because I think that, oh, yeah. and uh, I don't want to give up too much about your paper that you're going to drop. And I had a, um, I had some visibility into uh, last week because uh, I think that's important. Like we were discussing before we hit record, it, it is a bit nauseating when Bitcoiners attack gold uh, advocates uh, when we should probably be. Um, hand in hand together as sound money advocates. Well, true, but to, to be fair, there've been some gold advocates who've been real a-holes to Bitcoiners too, and we all know who they are. So, um, you know, and I part of what I've tried to do throughout all my workings, I believe in sound money above, above and beyond everything else. I think sound money is a moral issue. And I think the, the remnant is what I refer to as the group of people who believe in the, the rules that we were established in the constitution in 1789. You know, gold and silver are money. We, we should live in a sound money environment. The government should be minimal. Um, it should be controlled. You know, you should have all these branches that balance one another, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, all of that has over time gotten degraded and thrown in the dust heap of history. Um, you know, and it's it was just one chip at a time. You know, I mean, Roosevelt takes away the gold. I mean, the Supreme Court rules this way and that way. I mean, it's but the remnant knows, I mean, we live by what I consider to be libertarian natural law, which is, you know, don't do harm to anyone else and take care of your own. And that's what the remnant is to me. And, uh, you know, we'll rebuild when, if, the, if and when the system collapses. And I think, sadly, it's very likely to collapse. You know, I want to be part of that. I think your generation will be part of that. Many people will be part of that, trying to rebuild it. And the, the, the bright side is from my studying of history, you know, countries that do have collapse, it can be, it's obviously going to be terrible and brutal and many will be hurt. But, but when you, you know, if we don't get into a shooting war and we don't exchange nuclear arms and we don't start killing people, um, you know, all the factories and people and intelligence are still there. And if we go back to sound money, we might actually be able to kind of get things going in the right direction fairly quickly. Now, you know, who's rich and who's poor will have changed a fair amount. And some of that, frankly, would be good. <laughs> so, I think some of the rich today aren't exactly the most admirable people. Uh, and uh, but but that's OK. And, um, you know, and then we can put it back on a sound basis and, you know, uh, have a deflationary world where we're not just trying to grow and consume all the resources in the planet all the time. We're all looking at long time preference things that we really enjoy, you know, staying healthy and living with friends and living well and, and getting, getting more for less. You know, that's, to me, that's what deflation and that's what Bitcoin is all about, is, is getting more for less, being more productive because you have a long time preference. You know, if you have a long time preference, you can invest in productivity. If you're a Keynesian, you think, no, 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 screw productivity. We need more demand and growth right now, no matter what it takes. Let's borrow from tomorrow and saddle our kid with, kids with these debts. That's just wrong. That's just blatantly wrong. It leads to, I mean, you talk about ESG, you talk about destruction of the environment, you talk, I mean, how do we continue to grow the way we're growing in a resource constrained planet? 
I mean, this, you know, I think it's, I, I'm not sure if I got it right. I think it's St. Matthew's Island, but Google, you know, deer, lichen, and Alaska. And, and it's a perfect example of how the carrying capacity of a, of a certain area can be totally overwhelmed. And then you just get, literally, you get a collapse. You know, this is a, 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 an island off Alaska where they introduced deer and they were able to live off the lichen. They introduced the deer so that they could have food for the soldiers who were there during World War II. Eventually, the deer grew too, too, you know, they got up to like a large deer population. And then there was not enough lichen for the deer. Population literally went from like 12,000 deer to zero, <laughs> you know, because they, they overwhelmed the, the resources, right? Yeah. And that's the nightmare scenario here in the, in the world. You know, if we just keep trying to grow without thinking about that growth, it's not a good thing. Well, all we need is to build back better. Uh, yeah, that's right. Where they, they're going to get 305, $3.5 trillion, excuse me. It's, it's zero, cost zero. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get that, that, somehow make that cost zero dollars, and then we're going to go spend it, and uh, we're yeah. going to fix the economy that way by pumping more resources and misallocating more resources. And that's the frustrating thing for me as somebody who is um, in the Bitcoin mining industry, which is obviously much maligned for its energy usage. And it, it's hilarious because if you actually understand what's going on, which I'm sure you do, but anybody yeah. out, out there listening, like I think that's actually what had a conversation with Luke Roman last year. I think that may have been like an aha moment for him when I made it clear, like, Bitcoin is going to usher in an energy renaissance because it makes us as energy efficient as possible at scale over time. Because the cheapest energy resources are those that are being wasted. Completely agree. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, look, the US military consumes like 1% of the world's oil every day. You know, I mean, I, I mean, you know, Bitcoin is what is it, half a percent of the world's electricity? I mean, it's, that's a small price to pay for sound money. I mean, sound money is worth that price, in my view. Well, again, like you said, low time preference, capital allocation, people don't think about those second and third order effects, right? Yeah. Like the yeah. fiat monetary system allows you to print money ex nihilo and then go misallocate it. Yeah, that oh, that's exactly right. Energy to be, <laughs> to be accomplished. Yeah, oh, it's, it, it's right. It's, um, uh, it's, it's a, it's a broken system and very much so, but, um, you know, there, there are, there are a lot of good indications. And I, as I, I'm sure a lot of people and a lot of your listeners say, I mean, I, I, many times I've said to myself, you know, thank God for Bitcoin. I mean, it really does. Bitcoin fixes this. And I think it really will. And, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, you know, having said that, um, you know, I, 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 again, going back to kind of the Bitcoin gold debate, I mean, I, you know, I, I hear this kind of, you know, there can only be one from time to time, and and you know perhaps in the longer term that's a that's a possibility. But I think in the shorter term, um, you know there can be more than one, and it really does take. I mean the enemy here is is fiat money in the state. You know the enemy of Bitcoiners is not gold. Gold's not drawing away from Bitcoin as much as you know um, as much as people think. And uh, and then you know frankly, I'm part of my view is is that I'm trying to do what I can to help gold people understand Bitcoin and recognize that. You know, to protect themselves and to help improve the planet, they should they should support Bitcoin as well as gold. They both have a place in a portfolio. No, I agree, and I think the point you made about gold's monetary premium already 
being demolished by the Fed was one that had never been brought up to me. It was actually pretty illuminating. It was like, oh shit, like you're at a point like Bitcoin is always like, oh, we're going to demonetize gold. And you're like, it's already been demonetized. Like, yeah, gold should be 10,000 bucks right now. I mean, if it were if it were trading like the way it used to trade, like when we were on the gold standard, it'd be $10,000 easily, maybe more. I mean, at $800, at $800 gold in 1980, it covered the entire US money supply. And Egon did some numbers, went back and back tested it. And they found, you know, if you take the real inflation numbers from shadow government stats, that 1980 number would be 22,000 today. So, you know, and, and it's at 1800. So it's, it's been demonetized, not fully. I mean, it could probably go lower, but um, you know, it's, it's pretty damn demonetized. And, and, you know, there's a chance and, and, you know, there's a chance of a reset. There's either a chance that the paper market fails or there's a chance that, you know, a couple of really big and important countries, I mean, you can't just write off China and Russia, that they say, okay, you know, we get it, the money's messed up, we're going to, you know, we're going to back our currency with gold. And, you know, that would be meaningful. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be very meaningful. Now, you know, so, so there's, there's room for both of these assets, there's plenty of room for both of these assets. I think, I don't know if we did it in the discussion beforehand, but I, you know, I, I often say there's 400 trillion, 450 trillion dollars of financial stuff out there, cash, stock, bonds. Okay, there's about 1.1 or 1.2 trillion of Bitcoin. There's 10 trillion of gold, but really a lot of it doesn't trade. A lot of it's in the the antiquities and the central banks. There's about five trillion of tradable gold. There's about one trillion of gold stocks. So you take five trillion of tradable gold, you add one trillion of gold stocks. And you added a little over a trillion of Bitcoin. So you got call it seven trillion of what I consider to be hard money investments. Okay. You got 450 trillion of financial assets. And you got seven trillion of hard money investments. What happens when that 450 realizes they're in a burning house and says to themselves, holy shit, this thing's losing value every day. I got to get me some of that gold or that Bitcoin. I mean, if, if we went to just the rate we were at in the 1980 period, gold was 7% of total financial assets. So 7% of 450 today is 32 trillion, okay? So that would take the seven to the 32. So we'd almost have a five bagger, mm -hmm. okay? In, you know, if we just reset to the 1980 level. And I think we're gonna reset to much higher than the 1980 level. I mean, that was, you know, that was jacks for openers in terms of inflation. I mean, you know, th this inflation we've got coming, it's gonna make the 70s look like child's play. So, you know, if the total sound money assets go up 5X, you know, and how's that going to get split between Bitcoin and gold? Well, probably Bitcoin's going to do better because it's emerging and it's got a technological advantage. And, you know, I don't disagree that it's in many ways, it's superior to gold, but, you know, it's not superior in every single way. And, you know, and, and by the way, I mean, there's 6 billion people that know that gold is money. You know, I mean, do, do the, you know, do the poor people in lots of areas know that Bitcoin is money? Probably not. You know, and it, it's going to take time until 6 billion people accept Bitcoin as money. So yeah, you, know. you can also make the arguments may piss off some Bitcoiners, but it shouldn't. Like maybe the network itself, like could it take on six billion people right now from a tech oh, it, perspective? Like, oh, I think it could. I mean, probably not at the base layer. Layer. I mean, you know, as you know, once the mining reward goes down enough, I mean, I met with Safe once, and he said to me, "Look, you know, this is. I mean, so the mining reward will be too small, even at whatever it is, even at high Bitcoin price." You know, this is the, the Bitcoin, the base layer network, it's going to be like moving money is going to be, it's going to be like moving a super tanker. I mean, everything's going to be so damn valuable and you've got the block size can only be so large. You got one every 10 minutes that, you know, I mean, it may, transaction may cost $50,000 or something, but, but who cares because 
you're going to be moving a trillion dollars. Yeah. And as a percentage, it's going to seem very slow. And, and but that's why you've got these other layers, right? That's why you've got the Lightning Network, and you know, and 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 those will scale to handle mm -hmm. billions, right? And so you know, it's 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 a beautiful thing the way they've kind of layered it up. And so I I can see where it's going to work. I mean, I, I believe over time solutions will be found. Yeah. To let all six billion people in. Yeah. No. Yeah, I, I agree too. In terms of like if hyperinflation happens in the next year or two, yeah. like, they won't all be trading at the base layer, though. I mean, no. you know, and, yeah. and and having one coin is going to be just like, holy shit, you own an entire coin. Are you <laughs> kidding me? You know, I mean, I mean, I mean seriously, I, I think that's, you know, I think that's what our grandkids will say. Um, you're, a whole, you're a whole coiner. Uh, yeah. Right. Are you own a whole coin. Yeah. yeah. Actually, more than one. <laughs> it's so, uh that's fascinating time. Yeah, sometimes, I mean, that's why I really liked your piece because you, you, that's the other thing too. There's been so many warnings throughout history about money. Don't fuck up the money. Again, like you said, the founding fathers yeah, right. put it in the constitution. We've seen Aristotle talk about it. Jesus oh, yeah. throughout the money changers. And, and that's one thing you reference is the, uh, yeah. the impure measures in your, in your speech. Should yeah, I, honest weights and measures. I mean, it's right in the frigging Bible. I mean, Look, this has been going on for hundreds of years. There have been a hundred hyperinflations in the last two hundred years. You know how much misery that's caused. You know, you know. I mean, how many? I mean, seriously, think of the families, the lives wrecked. I mean, just it's horrible shit, right? I mean, it's 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 really bad. And I mean, this is and this is basic stuff. And yet, the Krugmans and the Keynesians of the world—they just don't get it. They won't even acknowledge it. They won't even acknowledge it. They make fun of it, and then they talk about trillion-dollar coins. You know, it's just. I mean, and they get Nobel prizes, right? I mean, it's like, well, they're, they're number you know, one now because they're like the gold standard led to the depression. Yeah, we yeah right. I mean, that's just a complete lie. I mean, once again, it just, it just shows you that, you know, you can control the narrative for so long, but unfortunately, I mean, but, but, the, but natural law wins out, right? I mean, humans aren't entirely stupid. Some are, but many aren't <laughs> and, and natural law wins out. And so, you know, People will slowly but surely, this change is taking place. I mean, you know, all of human history, all 6,000 years of recorded human history is, is, you know, crime and folly, but we have been making advances over time. And, you know, the big advance of this next century and this fourth turning will be sound money. I mean, I, I read this, it's in my speech, I talk about our grandkids are gonna sit around and say, can you believe that these idiots let some central bankers control the money and control the interest rates and control the money supply? What the hell were they thinking? They had to be out of their mind. Of course, the whole thing collapsed. You well, know, you can't you can't have that kind of a system, well, that's right? Like, again, it's evil, right? Because it was thrust on people. Well, yeah, I agree with you. It, it it is evil, but but you know the people who were in it, they actually, I mean, evil is pretty banal. I mean, you, you know, you, I mean, you know, some, I mean, do you think the entire German population was evil? No, I mean, some were just doing their job. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I know people who work at the Federal Reserve, I'm, and, I, and I have a hard time, like they're in the middle somewhere, and I have a hard time pointing and saying, well, that's an evil guy. I mean, I think the Fed is an evil organization. You know, I think Jerome Powell is evil when he says that the Fed isn't leading to wealth inequality. He knows better. Do you know what I mean? But, you know, the average guy who's working at the Fed, is he an evil person? I don't know. I mean, he's probably just misguided, and, he, you know, he's looking for a paycheck to go home with at night. You know, the Fed gave him a job. It's looking for that prestige on the resume yeah, as well. Right. Well, that's right. That's right. I mean, there's some of that. I mean, you know, look, I, I don't think he's as righteous as 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 Bitcoiners or sound money people or people who, 
you know, work an honest day for their, for their income. I mean, I, you know, um, but I'm, and, I, and I'm not sure, I mean, you know, who has it said? I mean, it's, um, it's hard to convince a man of, you know, something that's true if his income depends on him not believing. I think it was Upton Sinclair who said that, you know, his income depends on him not believing it, right? Yeah. There's, there's a lot of that going on, for sure. A ton of it. Yeah. I guess I'll, I'll end it on this question. Do you think Bitcoin breaks the wheel? How if Bitcoin succeeds? Sound oh, money yeah. Succeeds. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, this is... This, in my opinion, I mean, I, God, I pray and hope it does. I mean, and I and I actually believe it does too. I mean, I think, I think it's it's almost God given that that we were able to invent this thing that that solves the biggest problem of our time, and that it's getting widely and widely adopted. And I think human beings, as as messed up as we are, you know, over time we're we're slowly but surely bouncing off the guardrails to going in the right direction. And I think, you know, we'll, we will, I, I'm, I'm very convinced we'll be on a sound money standard. We will be on a Bitcoin standard. Gold will be a piece of it too. Um, and, and that will happen, in my opinion, within the 10 to 15 year time window um, with, with some, some rough ups and downs. I mean, one thing people should do is you should go and Google, get on um, Twitter or just Google the Myrmican, M-Y-R-M-I-K-A-N, um, uh, Weimar volatility chart, mm-hmm. and it, because it shows you the ups and downs in the gold price as measured in, in marks during the Weimar hyperinflation. And, and this is why I earlier remember we were talking about um, leverage. Mm-hmm. You know, this is going to be volatile, right? This is going to be really volatile. And I, you know, my a big caution I would have, having been at this for 30 some odd years, almost 40 years of investing, would be um, don't get leveraged. You know, know what you own, know why you own it. Be, you know, be ready for the down, draw down, maybe keep some cash to buy the dip. I mean, and that's, let me, let me make this other point. This is important too. And people say, well, you should be hundred percent Bitcoin. Well, okay. If I had been hundred percent Bitcoin in 2018 or 19, I wouldn't have been able to. So, so I bought, I was buying Bitcoin at 17,000, 2017 Christmas time. You know, I was with everybody else. I'm thinking that's going to 50 or hundred, right? Of course mm-hmm. it falls to 10. I double down, it falls to 35 and a half. I double where did I get the money to double down? I sold gold. I had gold to sell, right? Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, um, you got a volatile asset. There's an argument for having another asset that's less volatile. You know, the volatile asset goes on a, a great run and does it goes to 250. Then maybe you sell a little bit. Maybe you buy a little gold. The yeah. 250 collapses back to 125. Huh, okay, on a relative basis, that sounds cheap again. Maybe I'll buy, you know, take that gold and sell it and buy some Bitcoin. You know, there's, there's, in my opinion, there's, there's wisdom to, you know, in asset allocation and dollar cost averaging. You know, and I've just, I've seen that as an investor over the years. And, and that's my biggest argument, you know, to Bitcoin people. I mean, fine, you believe in it. You want to be super heavy Bitcoin. Great. Hold 10% gold on the side. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just hold 10. Because if you get a big dip, you're going to want to be able to sell the gold to buy the dip. Right. And, and to gold people, don't go all gold. That's ridiculous. You got this super sound, super rapidly growing money that's adopting, that's it's doing two things. One, it's reflecting the, the dilution of the money, you know, the, the debasement. But two, you've got, a, you've got an adoption curve and you're at 10% and it's about to get widely adopted. It's a no friggin' brainer. If you don't have some Bitcoin allocation and you're a sound money person, you got to be shot. I mean, you just, you, you, I mean, seriously, I mean, you just don't get it. You know, I mean, I mean, I don't know what you know. I don't know what Peter Schiff is thinking. I just don't know. And I and I, I know a lot of other guys, gold guys, who have the same kind of view. Now, 
you know, and so, so, you know, if we define the brackets as 90-10 one way or 90-10 the other way, and then I think everybody's got to make a choice. Where do I feel, where do I fall on that spectrum? What am I comfortable with? Mm-hmm. I mean, just to give you some data, my fund is 80% gold because I have the history of that. It's 20% Bitcoin, but that, that's growing fast. You know, personally, I'm more like 60% Bitcoin, 40% gold. You know, because, yeah, so because, I mean, you know, I'm talking about my PA, you know, which more or less including my allocation of my fund and so forth. So, yeah. um, because I believe very strongly in Bitcoin. Well, I do as well. Thank you for, I mean, I know it. Well, I, I'm not, I, I would imagine you don't give a shit, but I know, um, <laughs> I know uh, it is a bit controversial to be um, in the gold space and to be espousing Bitcoin. Um, yeah, it is. I mean, I look, I, it's it, the thing that sucks about where I am is I get shit from both sides. You know, the toxics say, you know, I'm talking about gold and I'm, you know, they're like, some guy said, uh, you know, why would you bring a horse when the car is available? Yeah. Okay. Well, they both beat walking. <laughs> and on the other side, I got, you know, I got the gold guys saying, you know, are you going to believe this magic fairy dust Ponzi scheme, you know, bullshit, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, you don't really understand it. You know, it's, it's immutable. Money's just a record. It doesn't have to be physical, you know, and this is a, this is an immutable record and it's been adopted and it's growing. It's got a huge network effect going on. I mean, I think I told you, I was a big investor in the internet in 93 and it worked out great. This feels just like the internet to me, just the same thing. Mm-hmm. This, this thing is going to eat the world. It is just going to eat the world, yeah. but, but vol- in a volatile way, in a volatile way. So don't, don't forget that piece. <laughs> don't use so, leverage freaks. Yeah. Guess, don't, don't use leverage. Yeah. Well, one last thing. I just, just curious myself is we've been having this conversation. You've been saying I've learned, I've learned, I've learned like how long as an investor, I think this would be productive and um, good perspective for the audience here like how long did it take you to be comfortable as a, a quote-unquote investor how many oh. years decades like you have a lot of i'm still there. not but you know what you know what is great about investing marty is that it's one of you know like so many, you'll see in your as you age and a lot of things in your life as you age it, it, it sucks kind of things go the wrong way right mm-hmm. <laughs> investing is actually an intellectual exercise where seeing cycles it does get better and it gets easier because you can see this pattern recognition mm-hmm. and so I mean, I must say for the first 10 years, I kind of felt like I was groping around, really didn't know what the hell I was doing. Fortunately, I was with some older guys who were showing me mm-hmm. and, and they, they prevented me from making what would have been some really stupid and fatal errors. So I spent 10 years kind of apprenticing and had guys who were 20 or 30 years older than me for keeping me out of danger. Then I learned enough to be, you know, okay. I think I would say five to 10 years in, no, pretty comfortable. I didn't feel like I had it all nailed, but it was kind of like, okay, I get the drill here. I can do this, you know? And so for that next 10 or 20 years, you know, I could do it and, you know, ups and downs made mistakes, but it was all good. It was all generally good. And then, so now I'm 30 years in and, and it starts to feel easy. You know, it really starts to feel easy because it's kind of like, oh yeah, I've seen this before. I know exactly what this is, you know? Oh yeah. Arc. Oh, I get it. You know, this is Munder net net. I mean, you know, the, the stock market today, the triple Q's, I mean, this is the internet in 2000, you know, I mean, it's, you just the pattern recognition piece of it becomes very, very ingrained. And you, you know, I mean, you, did you see the video that was on the, the web? This recently, the guy who was talking about a stock, he didn't even know what they did. Yeah. Right. I'm having technical difficulties. I can't quite hear you. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, that they was so classic, right? 
I mean, if that's not March of 2000, then I've never seen it. I mean, I was investing in March of 2000. I remember the mood perfectly. It's the exact same thing, right? Same. I mean, I strongly feel this is just my gut. Your, your, your listeners may totally disagree. I'm pretty sure the top is in for the stock market. Stock market is done. Put a fork in it. Yeah. We're not, the triple Qs, they're not going higher. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Tesla, um, I mean, all the, all the sexy stocks, they've seen their top. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a short seller. But, you know, if I were, um, and, and, and I could be wrong, there, there's, one, there's one possible exception to that statement. And that is, if we have a crack up boom, then everything's going higher, yeah. right? If we yeah. have, you know, because the Venezuelan stock market and hyperinflation took off, yeah. right? And the Weimar stock market took off. So if we have a total collapse crack up boom, then it's going higher. But absent that, if we kind of continue tripping along with the system, I think the top's in, yeah. You know, crack up boom that everything's worthless essentially so well that's right that's right yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so. well thank you for well thank you i really enjoyed it um and i i hope i've added some value and helped your listeners a bit um well you know it's, i know it's, you've added value to my life in the last few weeks we've been interacting uh and to me personally so i, I assume that'll be uh, felt by some of the freaks out there at least i'm sure you will get the annoying Bitcoiners. I'm sorry, guys, uh, that will be attacking you. Yeah. But I, 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 I can live with it. I, I'm, you know, my, my skin's gotten thicker. I mean, if, look, it's everybody's entitled to their opinion. And, and uh, you know, I mean, some people have to learn stuff the hard way, too. I mean, I do see I do some see some people, particularly the, the stock market bulls who are really all bulled up on the market. Boy, I got to tell you, I feel like they got a hard lesson coming. They yeah. really do it. This market could this market could fall fifty percent, no problem, absolutely no problem. Higher inflation, you know, it's going to squeeze. I mean, we're at peak profit margins and peak multiples. That just can't continue with higher inflation. It just can't. You yeah, know, I, mean, I mean, it's 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 over. It's just over. So all the uh, the gold and macro guys I've been talking to in the last month, they they see deflation um, and financial asset prices coming up. Especially, I mean, just look at the commodities market. You look at the supply chains too. Like, yeah, right. These economies aren't uh, light switches. Like, the supply chain issue is not going to be resolved anytime soon, which is a shame and scary. And then the energy just compounds that, and it's part of it. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. Sometimes, so anyway, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be interesting to watch. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have met you, and hope that uh, we can continue the correspondence because it's been fun. And it's been a lot of fun. Good luck in New Orleans this week. Freaks. Yeah, thanks. When, uh, when Larry's piece is finally published, which should be any day now, um, go read it if you haven't already. Um, this will probably be posted on the day it is published. Or Yeah, it's Thursday. Thursday morning I'll, pu I'll publish it, okay. and Thursday I deliver the speech. So it'll be out there. I'll put it on Twitter. All right, this will be yeah. the day before. So you'll, you'll have uh, some... Oh, well, this will come out the day before. I get it. Unless yeah. you want me to send no, it. No, no, that's great. Whenever you... No, please put it out before. Yeah. Okay. There will be some anticipation. You guys will have to wait some some amount of hours before you're able to read it. But I highly recommend you do read it when it does become available. Larry, thank you for coming on. Oh, uh, thanks, Marty. I really enjoyed it. We're definitely going to have to do this again. I can't wait to meet in person and have a steak with you. Uh, Absolutely. I'd like yeah, to do uh, that. Yeah. Keep fighting the good fight. We are the remnant. This is a virtual <laughs> fight. That's a fact. That's a fact. We'll win. We'll win. We've got, you know, we've got a tailwind. with The stuff's on our side. I mean, it's just be ready for some ready for some zigs and zags. I've been doing this a long time. I can tell you, we've got you know they're going to be curveballs coming at us. You yeah. know, but but we'll be fine. 
Yeah. Prepare, freaks. Prepare. Um, <laughs> yeah, no leverage. Keep the leverage. Man- <laughs> keep the leverage manageable. That's my big piece of advice. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. Peace and love, freaks. Thanks. Thanks.